You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Hey, good morning. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 50. And um, as you're turning there, I hope... I hope you'll be at the picnic today. It's always a great time. Um, probably get... Uh, if, if there's enough peer pressure, okay, I just want you to know, we can watch Fritz Hager get his face painted. And I think that's worth coming out if for no other reason than to see uh, that. But it's going to take all of us, uh, I have a feeling. All right, so Genesis 50. So Brent said, hey, look, we're in this middle of our of our series on uh, Jesus in the Old Testament. And the way that we're doing is we're looking at... Well, there you are, Fritz. <laughs> were you sitting there just a second ago? All right. I was looking, but I couldn't find you. Well, that's a distraction. Okay. Uh, so Jesus in the Old Testament. So we're looking at these characters. Now, I, I want to be clear about what we're doing. We're looking at the characters. The, the characters, um, that they... They, they operate like this for us um, on, on this side of the cross. They're, they're echoes of who Jesus is. It's as though these characters, by their lives, are sending a sonar out. And that sonar is bouncing against Jesus and coming back, and we're seeing the echoes of Jesus' life in these characters. But we've got to be careful, because if not, you come away and you go, okay, well, the point of the story is that I'm supposed to be like Noah, or I'm, you know, so i got to build an ark and wait for a flood, or, I, or I'm supposed to be like Melchizedek, who's this mysterious person, or I've got to be like Abraham, or this morning your temptation will be that you walk out of here and you go, oh, okay, well, I just need to be more like Joseph. And I would tell you that's exactly not the point. That the point is every one of these men, they're, they're flawed and they have huge things in their life that need to be redeemed, and yet... By God's grace, they, they echo for us or they foreshadow or they give us a picture of the greater one to come. And in that, we go, okay, God was in this from the very beginning. That there's no plan B here. It's always leading to Jesus. And so that's what we're looking for this morning when we're looking at Joseph. And we're going to be in the last chapter of the book of Genesis. What's great is Genesis opens up um, with creation, the hope and the grace of creation. And the first words of Genesis are, God speaks and says, let there be light. And then the light comes in and it rains over the darkness. And then you get to the very end of Genesis. And it's a great way to study books of the Bible, by the way. Look at the beginning and look at the end. But you get to the end of Genesis and the last words are from a dying man that's going to be wrapped as a mummy and laid into a, the darkness of a coffin. It begins with, light coming and ruling, and yet it ends with this one who loves God being laid into the darkness of a coffin. But in all of that, the thread in all of that is that while sin might come and weave its way through the story and cause a tragedy all over the place, there is this hope of God's grace that continues to remain. And that's 
the way it is in Joseph's life. He's a dying man, and in his dying breath, you know what he does? In verse 25 of Genesis chapter 50, he makes his family swear that when God comes and visits the land, comes and visits his people, which means when God comes and he does something radically different to change the course of their history, when he comes to take them out of slavery and into the promised land, he makes them swear that they'll take his bones with them and bury him in Canaan. That the last words of a dying man, the darkness is enveloping over him. He sees the light of the hope, of the grace of God. And the question is, how do you get there? How do you get there? How does a guy like Joseph, whose life has been filled with tragedy and suffering, how do you get to the place that when you finally lay down in your coffin, that you can speak words of hope, of the grace of God? Well, I want to suggest three things that we're going to see this morning in Joseph's life. The first is, is that Joseph knew the power of, of forgiveness. And the second is, is that Joseph knew what it was to be free under God's authority. And thirdly, I want us to see that he knew the hope of God's kindness and his grace. Well, I'm going to be in Genesis 50. I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 15. I'm going to read a few verses and then we'll come back and talk about them. It says this in Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. I mean, these brothers did a lot of evil to him, all right? So here's what they do in verse 16. So they send a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this commandment before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brother's and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers also came, and they fell down before him, and they said, Behold, we're your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Well, if you've ever been at the, at the bedside of somebody that you loved, who's just died, who's just breathed their last, then you know the, the mood of Genesis chapter 50. It opens up the end of Genesis 49. Uh, Jacob has just breathed his last, and Joseph and his brothers are around. And it opens up with Joseph laying over his father and kissing his forehead and weeping over him. He'd been apart from his father for so long, they'd been reunited. And here, in his love for his father, at his death, he, he weeps over him. That's how the chapter opens up. See, jo Joseph first came onto the scene of the story in Genesis, really in Genesis chapter 37. We're, we're introduced to him as Jacob's son. He's actually the 11th son, but he's the oldest son. He's the first son of Rachel, who is the wife that he loved. 
And in fact, the text says he, he loved Joseph more than he loved all his other sons. And, and he loved him because he had him when he was an old age. They, they had this very special relationship. But this relationship that Joseph had with his father made a mess of their family because the brothers, and they hated Joseph because of it. They were jealous of Joseph. In fact, the reality is they probably, and they were probably bitter and resentful towards their father as well. And so here's what they do. They concoct a plan. Uh, they get Joseph alone by a series of events. And they decide they're going to kill him. So they throw him in the bottom of a well. And he's there at the bottom of the well. And Judah says, hey, listen, um, I mean, we could kill him. Or there's these gypsy Ishmaelites that are walking by. We could just sell him. I mean, so we could kill him and get nothing out of it. Or we could sell him. They'll kill him and we'll get, you know, we'll, we'll get some money out of the deal. So they pull him up. So here's what they do. They'd thrown him in the bottom of a, of a well, and then they decided to have lunch next to it while he's crying out for them to show him mercy. They felt nothing. They pull him up. They sell him to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites turn around, and they take him into Egypt, and they sell him into Egypt as a slave. Joseph's life was worth 20 shekels at this point. Well, he goes to the, to, from the bottom of the pit to he gets sold in Egypt. He becomes the, the house ruler for a guy named Potiphar who was in Pharaoh's court. And that goes really well. He's in charge of everything except Potiphar's wife thinks that he's a real looker. That this guy is, is um, I mean, he's, he's a hot mess kind of a deal, right? So she puts herself on him. He says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I've been left in charge of everything. She then concocts a story, makes up a story about how he's tried to sexually assault her. Then Joseph gets thrown into the clink, and he's there in prison for about 12 years. And at the end of that 12 years, he's summoned by Pharaoh because Pharaoh's had these dreams, and Joseph has been given by God the gift to interpret dreams. And so he finds himself before Pharaoh interpreting dreams. And then before you know it, at the age of 30, Joseph has ascended to the right hand of Pharaoh. Pharaoh has given him his ring. He's given him his coat. And essentially what we have is that Joseph is the most powerful man in the most powerful nation on the planet. He goes from the bottom of a well to the prime minister of the superpower of the world, Egypt. And that's how he gets reunited with his brothers. See, there was a famine in the world, um, or the known world at the time. It was a seven-year famine. And under Joseph's leadership, Egypt was the only country that was prepared for the famine. They had grains in storage. And so foreigners would come into Egypt. You have to go through Joseph and you'd come and say, we don't have anything to eat. And so they'd, they would provide for other people. And so Jacob, they're in Israel. They're, they're in the land of Canaan. They're starving. He sends his sons to Egypt. He says, look, we're going to die if somebody doesn't go get us some grain. So the brothers, they go get grain. And lo and behold, they step up and they meet, they meet Joseph although they don't know it's Joseph. And so Joseph is going to, it's this very interesting story. He puts them through the paces, and it finally ends in him identifying who he is and bringing his whole family to him to reunite him. But here, uh, they've just all attended their father's funeral. And Jacob is gone 
And now the brothers are left with Joseph in charge. And not just in charge of them, but in charge of all of Egypt. And they're afraid about their future. That's why it says in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So he's out of the picture. The brothers, they're worried. He's finally going to take his revenge on them and for all the pain that they've caused in his life. And so they make up a story and they, they tell Joseph, hey, look, d dad's dying words were that you were supposed to forgive us. And so they send that in a note. And that's the note in 16 and 17. Uh, they send the message, your father, not our father, your father gave the command. And so he said to say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers also came, they fall down before him, and they say, behold, we're your servants. Well, if there are times when you think that your family does crazy stuff, take heart. Uh, the families in the Bible do crazy stuff. Th these brothers, they're all adults. And yet they're acting like a bunch of junior high girls that are sending a note over to Joseph. It's like, hey, Joseph, dad said we to forgive us. Will you forgive us? Check yes or no. Kind of a deal. But here's the thing. I mean, they're afraid. They're afraid to face Joseph. And the commentators, you can read the commentators, and, and one opinion of commentators is that, 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 that listen, they're, they're not really sorry for what they did. They're just afraid of Joseph. And so they make up this story and send it so that... that uh, Joseph will have to forgive them. They're appealing, they're manipulating based upon their relationship with the Father. Another opinion is that maybe they truly are repentant. They just don't know how they're going to get Joseph to listen to them after all this is said and done. I think there are some things to observe about this interaction, though. I think that whether they're truly repentant or not, the first thing I want you to notice is they're acting in fear of Joseph, not faith in God. See, the, the reason they don't know where they stood before Joseph is because they'd never come, they'd yet repented of their sin. They'd yet come to say, hey, look, we're a bunch of dirty rats, man. We did, we did some really bad stuff to you, Joseph, and we're so sorry about it. And there's no evidence that they ever really repented to their father. If you look back in chapter 45, and you don't have to turn there, I'll tell you what happens. But Joseph, in the back and forth with his brothers, he sends them back, he brings them back, he sends them. He finally, at the end of all these paces that he's put them through, Joseph, he, he can't stand it anymore, and he finally reveals himself to his brothers. And he says, look, I am Joseph. And in chapter 45, they're stunned. They, they don't have anything to say. I mean, they're, they're speechless. They thought he was dead. The last thing they ever expected was to stand face to face before Joseph. It is though he had been resurrected from the dead. And he's standing there. And listen to what he says to them in Genesis 45, verses 4 and 5, he says this, So Joseph said to his brothers, 
Come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And he goes on and he says, so it, was, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. See, he's, for, he's forgiven them. The, the guys who had sold him into slavery, who, who had handed him over to, to cruelty and to certain death, Joseph says, hey, come here, come near to me. You don't have to be afraid. And it's not, hey, come near so that you can get close enough and then I can punch your lights out. That's not it. It's come near to me. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be angry with yourself anymore. There's no grief here. See, here's what I've come to know, Joseph is saying to them. You, you sold me. But actually, it was God who was sending me. God had a purpose for those events so long ago. They, they were bigger than you. They were bigger than me. And he was doing something great through all of that. He sent me here so that I might be able to save you. See, Joseph isn't saying, listen, he's not saying that what they did was okay. He's, he's telling them that what they did was not outside of what God was doing on a bigger scale. And because of that, Joseph's able to forgive them. Actually, he does more than that. He, he loves them. He embraces them. What, what they'd done was terrible. And from a human standpoint, Joseph had every right. Look, he'd been wronged, he'd been abused, and he had every right, and not to mention the authority, to just chop their heads off if he wanted. But Joseph, he, he, he wasn't stuck into the past. He, he's so overwhelmed by the grace that had come from God through all of it. He couldn't wait to forgive them. But the brothers, they, they had a hard time being forgiven. See, they were stuck in the past. They'd been carrying this around their whole lives. They'd, they'd never confessed it. They'd never sought forgiveness for it. That they'd tried to live their lives as though, look, that just didn't happen. They, they tried to go along in their lives as, as if, it, if it wasn't a thing. What they discovered was they were living in the paralysis of their sin and the fear of what it was going to bring. See, Joseph knew the freedom of forgiveness, and his brothers didn't. They were afraid. They were afraid of Joseph, not, not because of anything Joseph had done. They were afraid because of their own guilty conscience. They were afraid of what, because of what they had done and what, and what they haven't, hadn't done. They, they had a grudge. And they believed that, that Joseph, he, that he also had a grudge. He wasn't grounded in anything that he'd done. It was because of what they knew was in their hearts. And listen, they, they tried to do a bunch of things. But nothing they had done had ever been able to clear their conscience from the sin and the evil in their life. Well, the second thing to notice about this are the words that they use. 
So whether, whether they're fully repentant or not, whether they're fully sincere or not, the words they use, these are heavy-duty words. Transgression, they use that word twice. Sin, evil. In the Hebrew language, these are the harshest words there are for sin and rebellion against God. I mean, whether they're fully sincere or not, they're not soft-selling. They're not beating around the bush. They are crystal clear. They're not calling it something that it wasn't. They're not saying, hey, look, you know, that misunderstanding we had. You know, when we threw you in the well and left you for dead. I mean, and then sold you. And then had a party with money that we sold you with. That little misunderstanding. Or they don't say, hey, you know, look, there's two ways to look at this, Joseph. And we can possibly, if we thought about it, see it from your perspective. I mean, they're not, in any way, these words do not leave them any room to wiggle out of the fact that what they had done to Joseph was wicked and evil. And more than that, these are These are words that describe more than just a human standard of wrongdoing. These are words that give a divine account of their actions. The third thing to notice here is that they throw themselves on the ground and offer themselves as servants. The word for servant is the word abed. In the Hebrew, it's a word, it it, it means slave. That they are here, having thrown themselves on the ground and offering themselves, hoping that they would be allowed to live as slaves before this one they had sold as a slave. It's an appeal to mercy. I mean, they thought, look, our only two options are he's either going to kill us, so that's death, or man, we'll, we'll beg and plead for forgiveness, and then he'll offer us mercy. But it's only the kind of mercy that slaves would have. So we offer ourselves as slaves. See, their unwillingness to repent, their unwillingness to deal with this thing they had done in their lives... It's this great image that they weren't able to receive forgiveness. And so this sin in their life, this wickedness, had become a slavery to them. They had become slaves to these hard hearts. There's one more thing I want you to see. and So it's the fourth thing to observe here. At the end of verse 17, and it's where it says that Joseph wept. This is the sixth time that the text tells us from from Genesis 37 all the way to the end of 50, the, the Joseph narrative. It's the sixth time we see Joseph having wept. The the first four times come during the story after the brothers come and he's reunited with them, but they don't know who he is. And um, it, it, it shows us that four times Joshua is going to be so overwhelmed, so overwhelmed with the grace of God having reunited him with his brothers that he weeps. In fact, one time he weeps so loud 
Everybody in Egypt, everybody in the palace was listening to him. He's trying to hide. He's weeping. He's crying in the closet. And everybody can hear him. And everybody's uncomfortable about it. He was a man acquainted with tears. See, the, the hardships of his life did not make him bitter. They made him tender. I remember coming home from Africa uh, when Catherine, our youngest, was little. And um, we, we'd been gone about two weeks, Leslie and I both, and she was about four years old. And two weeks is a long time in the life of a four-year-old. And so I remember we'd, we'd gotten back and we pulled up to the front of the house and we got out of the car and so anxious to get in. And then she just comes flying out of the front door, four years old. And those four-year-old legs come, and she, they just jump as high as she could, about that high off the ground. And I reach down, and she puts her arms around my neck, and I pick her up. She just buries her head in my shoulder, and you know what happens next. She starts to cry. You know that moment when, when sorrow and joy come together? I mean, she... She'd missed us. She'd been sorrowful. But now here at the reunion, this, this joy, this joy was coming and flooding over the sorrow, this sorrowful joy. It is this unbelievable emotion. I mean, isn't God so good to us that he's given us emotion? I mean, God could have said, you know, gosh, when he created us, um, that emotion thing is going to be so messy. Uh, for the history of the, of the world, people are going to just cry all over the planet. And I don't really like crying. But he, but he does. God creates us with a full range of emotion to experience the highs and the lows in life in all their full color. Isn't that so gracious of him? Well, the fifth time Joseph cries, it's at the beginning of this chapter, is the death of his father. And then the last time is here in this text, after his brother's confession. Well, this, this is actually different than the others. See, the author, Moses, he, he wants us to know here, Joseph is experiencing this deep sadness I mean, here are the brothers, and they're already forgiven. They're already embraced. Salvation's already been secured for them. But they haven't received any of it. It wasn't until their father's death, and here they are left face to face with Joseph. In their sin, and in their guilt, and all their fear, and, and all the dirtiness of their conscience... And because of all that, they believe Joseph's going to unleash his anger. And the best they can hope for is to be granted the mercy of a slave. And Joseph weeps. So how could they not know my love for them? His heart is broken. Jo Joseph has forgiven them. He has set them free from their sin against him. And yet, they are still living as prisoners. want to talk about that. 
See, Joseph knows the power of forgiveness. He also knows the freedom of God's authority in his life. Look at how he answers them in verse 19. He says, you know, the text says, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? He said, hey, look, look, don't be afraid. You don't have anything to fear from me. You're you're forgiven. You've, You've been forgiven. And besides all that, you belong to God. You don't belong to me. He saved you. And, and believe it or not, by God's grace, the result of your sin, actually, because of God's sovereignty, the result of your sin was your salvation. The, the wickedness of your actions did not stand a chance against the grace of God. Isn't that amazing? It's very likely Joseph's the most powerful man in the most powerful nation on the planet. And yet, he is still under authority. I'm not in God's place here. He's under God's authority, and by no means is he going to act in the place of God. You see, this is what the brothers had done. They hated Joseph, they hated Jacob, that they resented their father, their hatred, their jealousy towards Joseph came from a resentment and bitterness towards their father Jacob. I mean, we could talk about that all day long, couldn't we? But we won't. And we will. Had Jacob wronged them? Of course he had. I mean, the favoritism of Joseph ruined that family. But listen to this. Their anger, their jealousy, the grudge they had, the the bitterness, it led them to putting themselves in the place of God. So they decided to judge Joseph. They decided to judge Jacob. They throw Joseph in the bottom of a well. Joseph crying out. And they sit down and have lunch. They feel nothing. See, here's the, here's the thing. Only God has the power to judge somebody without becoming evil himself. When somebody wrongs you, when somebody really does evil to you, you're, you're standing, you're, you're there on the edge of the precipice. What are you going to do with that? If, if you refuse to forgive, if you, if you nurse the anger that you have, and, and, and you say, Look, I, here's what I really want. You know, if it, if it is the last thing I do, I'll see justice on this thing. I will not be wronged. Or, it comes in another version. It looks at it and it says, you know what? I will never do that. You know what that is? It's bitterness. It's anger. And it turns your heart, the the evil that you're seeing out there that's done to you, you have invited it inside. 
See, if you don't forgive somebody, here you start to get hard, you, you get cold, that the longer you don't forgive, even if you think that you're winning, you're losing. By repaying evil with evil, you become evil. One, one writer said it this way, it's great. You know what the greatest irony is? The fastest way to become like Satan is to try to be like God. When we cho choose not to forgive, we, we, we hold these grudges, we cling to bitterness and self-pity, we put ourselves in the place of God. We become the judge. You remember what Jesus says when he, when he says, it's the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving the disciples the, the Lord's Prayer, and it says this line, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And you can read that a few ways, but he's not saying, look, God's going to forgive you. He's not going to forgive you unless you forgive others. That's the condition. Thank goodness he's not saying that. And he's not saying, look, so when you forgive others, because you do, then God's able to forgive you. That's not it either. But here's what he's getting at. If, if you don't know how to seek forgiveness, if you don't know how to repent, to say, you know what, I am a sinner. I've sinned, or, or you don't know what it is to, to forgive somebody else. So Jesus is tying this, this, this humility that comes, this, this willingness to repent, this willingness to forgive others, to our ability to be able to repent to God, to be able to receive forgiveness. Listen, if you're holding a grudge and will not forgive, you can't receive forgiveness. You can't. Hard hearts don't know what it is to be forgiven. That's where the brothers are. They hadn't been able to forgive and the bitterness had kept them from receiving forgiveness. And so because of that, they were blinded to God's goodness and His grace. Joseph, he, he knew the power of forgiveness. He, he knew the freedom of trusting his life to God's authority. And, and we're able to see that he's able, because of that, to see with clarity the goodness and the kindness and the grace of God that it was always present with him. Look at verse 20. As for you, you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, the goodness of God's plan for Joseph and for his brothers, it was far greater than any evil that they seemingly accomplished. Joseph understood. He didn't, have, he didn't call it this. I don't know that he even had a word for it, but he understood it. He understood God's providence. One theologian describes it this way. The doctrine of providence tells us that the world and our lives are not ruled by fate, but by God who lays bare his purposes of providence most clearly in the incarnation of his son. See, these words, they, they weren't just jo words 
from Joseph to his brothers. Moses is writing this to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And they're for us today. I mean, listen, they, they'd been slaves. They, they, they knew what it was to be delivered by the hand of God. And, and Moses comes and he, and he wants them to know, hey, look, your lives, they're not in the hands of fate. Your lives are in the hands of God. They're not in the hands of Pharaoh. They're not in the hands of the circumstances that are out of your control. They're not, they're not in the hands of the anxieties that seem to overwhelm you. Your life is in God's hand. We are under, under the gracious rule of God. The Bible wants us to know this over and over and over again. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. In Jeremiah's audience, it was a confused and an exiled and a discouraged Israel. And the God that Jeremiah spoke for is the God that Moses speaks for is the God that Joseph was speaking for is the God that the Apostle Paul speaks for in Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, Joseph's words, Jeremiah's words, Paul's words, the providence of God. And every one of those contexts, the audience, they're struggling. They're struggling with the effects of sin and suffering in their lives. And the Holy Spirit, through the human author, says to the audience, God has never been off His throne. And He's never left your side. And even in the midst of what seems crazy and wicked and evil, you know what? It's no match for the grace of God and what He's doing in your life. But you will not see it with a bitter heart. You will not see it if you can't forgive. Joseph longed for his brothers to know this. They come, they offer him themselves as slaves. He won't take them as slaves. He won't take them as servants. He'll only have them as brothers. They seek mercy. Joseph, he grants mercy and grace. Completely forgiven, fully restored, abundantly cared for. Look at verse 21. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He repaid their evil with kindness and grace. The same he had received from God. So Joseph's a great example for us. <clears throat> he, he really is. And great examples, they're, they're good only up to a point. I mean, it might inspire you. You might leave here and go, man, I've got to be more like Joseph. I've got to find a nation to rule and some people to forgive. The, the problem is, you, you'll leave here and you go, okay, and I've got to be like Joseph. And then it's not going to be 24 hours until that's going to crush you. And you realize, you know what? You can't do that. Being inspired 
by Joseph isn't enough. You have to be empowered by the one whom Joseph points to. And that's Jesus. Listen, Joseph can't reach through this story into your life and give you the power to be forgiving. Joseph can't reach through the story into your life and give you the perspective to be able to see God's providence. And he's under control of everything. That's not what this story's meant to do. You know what this story's meant to do? It's meant to bring you on your knees in humility to the God of the universe that offered His Son, sent Him to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. It's meant to bring us to the cross to bow before the God who is our Father and Jesus, who is our brother and our Savior, and to say, I, oh, I've been wrong. I've been wrong. It's meant to drive us to a place to seek forgiveness. Forgiveness that is so freely offered. Listen, Jesus won't take us as slaves. He won't take us as servants. He'll only take us as brothers. And He doesn't offer us only mercy. He offers us mercy and grace. You know, Jesus was sold not for 20 pieces of silver, but for 30 pieces of silver by Judas. And yet it was God who sent him. Handed over by his brothers who he came to. Handed to the, the nation's authorities. Strung up on a cross. Not left for dead. He died. And took all of your sin. And this he did after stepping out of eternity into history. And taking on humanity and taking on all of our sin. Taking it to the cross and to the grave. And then he... He rises again, not to seek revenge. He rises again to offer you forgiveness. See, I'm afraid. I, we live in the 21st century in America. And every one of us is absolutely versed in all of our rights. And I'll tell you, you clinging to those, clinging to the hurts, clinging to the bitterness, can't come to the place of saying to that, that person, you know what, you did me wrong. That was, that was wrong. There's no getting around that it was wrong. But you know what, I forgive you. Because God was never off his throne. He never left my side. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I've been forgiven by him, and so I extend that forgiveness to you. If you can't get there, you won't know the love and grace and kindness that God has towards you 
in his son Jesus. So I invite you this morning. I invite you to come to the cross. I invite you to come to the one who died for your sins to offer you forgiveness, to bring your broken heart and your brokenness to him. To know the power of forgiveness, to know the freedom that comes with putting yourself under his authority, putting God back in his place. And the hope of his kindness and his grace in your life. If you would, would you, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the story of Joseph and, and the fact that the point of the story is not that we're to go out and just try to be Joseph. But the point of the story is to give the, us this resounding echo of who Joseph's life points to, and that is your son, Jesus, who lost far more than Joseph did, who was wronged far more than Joseph was. Who died a death that, that Father, you sent him to. And at the very same time, we're responsible for. And yet what we have meant for evil in our lives, you mean for good. And so, Father, this morning I pray for my friends here, some of who I know, just hanging on to bitterness and anger and can't see, can't see their way to know what it is that you've forgiven them, can't see their way to know what it is that you've never left the throne and you've never left our side. Can't see the way to see that what was meant for evil Father, you've meant it for good and that your grace abounds. Father, we don't want to be like Joseph. We want to come to Jesus and receive his forgiveness and mercy and grace. So, Father, that's how we pray. There are friends here, I know, that they've never done that before in their life, never come to the place of bowing before your son and receiving his forgiveness. Father, I pray you do that this morning in their life, that you would grant them the faith to receive your Son as their Savior. So, Father, this is what we ask, and we do it the only way we can. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.